All right, we are live right now on the daytime as uh, there is a lot to talk about on this show and sorry that we have not had a show since the last time. I know it feels like every time we say we're going to do two shows uh, in a week, something happens. This time I got sick. So uh, unfortunately, I spent my birthday and uh, laying in a bed, <laughs> laying in a bed. Um, mm -hmm. Well, the day of foreign birthday, then I had to go work and then we do a whole lot other than watch a, a so. Uh, but hey, get to bring in the, the year 35 of my life with this uh, wonderful person over here to my right. If you're watching on video, Eric Watkins. Since you had that terrible start, it's bound to get better. At least that's yeah. how it is for me. Hey, that's that's the important thing. That at least it gets better at some point. So, you know, we uh, <laughs> it seems like every day we've had something happen and we were going to. The idea was this was supposed to actually happen on Tuesday. Didn't happen until today because I keep uh, falling asleep when I get home from work. Um, I apologize to those to to y'all folks, uh, but either way, it, it kind of works out because now we're a day or two away from knowing what the MLS Cup final is going to be, and also so we'll talk about what the lead up is uh, to that and uh, some interesting results that have happened. Uh, some folks don't know. Uh, how to shoot penalties and, mm -hmm. and on a on a certain uh, team in in Tennessee and New England becomes yet the latest team uh, to break the record for most points in a season and then become eliminated in their first game. Uh, is there something to do with the fact that they had such a huge layoff? I don't know. Maybe ask Colorado because they went through the same thing and they also lost. So <laughs> we'll talk about all of that. Uh, but first, we should probably start with, um, because it's the most recent thing, and I know folks that tune in for the American stuff probably don't care about this, but hey, you know, this is this is our show. It's what we enjoy talking about. So uh, the Manchester United now have their interim manager. Uh, so they're done with the interim. Now it's the interim interim manager, Ralph Radnick, who Eric is a very much different type of coach from what they've had a very disciplinarian coach a very i want my team organized a certain way kind of coach he likes to press the father of the gangan press uh what do you think about the the hire of ralph Redney? well i appreciate really what united is doing first of all getting this hire sort of right and okay you're going to have time to bring in your system right now on the pitch then you're going to be a consultant for two. Leave your system in place, figure out what's going on, and then we'll still have your imprint forward. Looking at his ideal tactics, how he's been playing career, managerial career, to me, it's a bit of like a almost a shock adjustment. Because again, as you mentioned, with the Gagan press, just a sort of pressing style, mostly favoring a lot of younger players. So... It's going to be an interesting mesh how he boots with this system right now until he says, all right, now we're bringing in younger guys. Now we're going to be, now we're going to be more physical and everything else. It's going to be an interesting watch and I'm excited in some ways, nervous, but excited. Yeah, I really have liked, uh, I've tried to watch as much as I can. Well, mostly until today, really, uh, due to uh, visas and other, you know, regulations now that you had brexit uh he, they thought that he was going to have issues really coming being to come in and be the manager but they resolved those he was actually at the game against arsenal and he got to watch firsthand 
Uh, we'll get into the game in a little bit here, but he finally had his first interview as manager this morning, and he had some very interesting things to say, you know, and, and I really just, he seems like a person that he knows what he wants to do, and he has a plan, and he really wants to do what he can. He, he said, look, uh, don't uh, expect much differences going into the Crystal Palace game on Sunday, because there's only so much you can actually uh, change in that little bit of time. They only have one training session because of the midweek game. Uh, and the players have played against Arsenal can't train today. So, you know, let's, well, we'll, they'll get into that when they can. But obviously, that's a, it's a big system that you're now having to implement. They're not going to be able to do that in two days. But hopefully, you will see a little bit of, you know, more organization, more of a plan of how you're going to play and how they, move from covering one going forward to the other you know if you lose the ball what you're going to do which that's a big deal with gangan press right if you go really high to press the ball or lose the ball what you do in that transition you're going to try to score really fast which that's the mm -hmm. whole point um i think when uh, some of the the years where he was manager red bull had the highest goals after a turnover of any of the teams in the Bundesliga. That's what he's trying to do of like in 10 seconds of when you get the ball back, you're supposed to try to score because that's when everybody's at their, you know, not paying attention or not organized as quickly. Um, so we will see how much of that really gets implemented in the times that he has. He has uh, quite a number of games coming up, you know, after Crystal Palace game, he has that game the next weekend. Then he has the midweek game against young boys, which is now in doubt apparently because of the, uh, New COVID strain, Omicron, the UK has been put on the uh, list by Switzerland of, you know, concerns. So we shall see uh, what happens with that game, if it actually gets played or not, which, you know, United's already qualified. And I think they're already qualified in first, regardless of what happens. But it is important for young boys because that can determine whether they get into a Europa spot or, you know, even possibly qualify themselves. I'm not sure how that works at the moment, but let's. Look at the game. It's the last one for Michael Carrick. He decided right after the game, literally going out of the tunnel, he told the players and then announced that he is done with Manchester United. He has to take some time off. And then obviously with what he's been able to do in his time in charge, take that and try to get a job somewhere where you'd imagine with his pedigree, he would. What did you think of the game itself? Obviously United win 3-2. Um, weird goal by uh, Smith Rowe with some controversy there on how that happened. And two goals by Ronaldo, one by Fernandez, one by Odegaard right after the first Ronaldo goal. What'd you? I, I mean, honestly, especially with that first goal, yeah, it was in a weird, quirky situation, and everybody was looking, oh, you know, Fred stepping on the De Gea, all this and that. To me, the referee, Martin Atkinson, he really made a dog's dinner of it. I get that he didn't blow the whistle because the ball. It would have appeared to look like initially he touched him, but on replay it didn't. But then he sees De Gea down, like right near his goal line, still doesn't blow the whistle. And all of this comes Smith Rowe naturally scores. And I'm like, you can't be mad at him for something like that. You're taking advantage because you don't hear anything. VAR looks in. rightfully, there wasn't a foul, so they give the goal. But normally when you would have had that moment of shell shock and earlier matches this past three time under Carrick, it's like, all right, we know what we have to do. We've got our formation set and we know how we have to attack to really 
get a little bit more possession, keep that possession, and create new chances. And that was something that every time Arsenal got in front, United was able to do. Keep getting back, keep getting back. Fernandez goal was wonderful. And then Ronaldo, of course, doing Ronaldo things. Congratulations on scoring both 800 and 801 perfectly that it happened at the Theater of Tussauds. It was what we're used to these typical United wins as of late, but it gave me more encouraging signs. Yeah, certainly. Uh, that's one thing I will say under Carrick. I felt like they were much more organized. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there was so much a plan as so much of a, I feel like I have more of my button on what I want them to do. And with Oli, it more felt like, okay, well, we're just going to put the team out here. They're going to go and do their thing. Uh, maybe you would have eventually seen a pattern of play for Michael Carrick that would have been similar to Oli, but with more direction, right? And I feel like that's what I got out of this whole thing with Carrick is the one he had talk about. He had three three games. He did more than just the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. He did. He got two wins and a draw and a draw against Chelsea. That is, uh, you know, huge for them. And then he got the win that got him to Villarreal. Again, the first two games, I think you saw a lot more of the Oli. You know, you saw more of, a, oh, well, they had to be given gifts to be able to get their goals and stuff like that. Outside of the Sancho goal at the end and the champions. This one felt more like, oh, finally, we're going to have a little bit more punch. We're going to have a bit more of a, we're going to have, there wasn't necessarily control of the game. But there was a bit more direction of, okay, Mm -hmm. Fred is going to be moving forward a bit more and McTominay is going to sit back. And so Fred is going to join the attack when we saw that he was involved. You know, he was, he's unfortunately was the one that caused the hair to go down, which is why the goal counts, which I think is a great job by Martin Atkinson of actually not blowing the whistle because it allowed Barr to go back, realized that his own player had knocked the hair down and allowed the goal to stand. Had you not had that ability, perhaps then you're going to have to go and and make a mess of it, and then you call it back because you think it's a an Arsenal player that took the head down. Also, bad on De Gea as well to turn your back on the play. I don't understand. Uh, you know, it didn't look like much of a foul, especially because once game, the play had already started, he's already up again. So I don't I don't know what that was all about. If he was trying to just get the referee to call something, but to me, I don't think that that was the um, the best move by De Gea. It's weird to just see him turn his back to the play and to stay down uh, during that entire uh, movement. And obviously Fred's the only one that knows what happens. So he's the one who puts his hands up. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think you saw it more on the other goals. Obviously he's the one that draws the penalty to get uh, Manchester United that, that third goal for Ronaldo to get the 801. That second goal was fantastic. Sancho to Rashford to uh, Ronaldo there. And you had, um, you know, other chances. I mean, Fernandez also has to do with Sancho and Fred as well. So I think that's the main key thing that you saw. I like the fact that he was, he had more adventure in trying different back forwards, right? You saw mm-hmm. Tellez get a shot. You saw Dalo get in in this game. But, you know, he obviously some of that was due to the fact that Maguire couldn't play because he suspended for the Premier League game against Chelsea. But still, I like the fact that he was a bit more advanced, you know, with that. He tried to find out which worked the best. And sometimes I really feel like perhaps I really like Juan Bissaka. I don't think, you know, he's actually one of their better uh, players. So necessarily he but I I really like Tellez, I think, a bit more than Luke Shaw right now. It feels like he's a bit more clued in. 
Um, he's good on the set pieces on when you need, um, you know, corners. So I don't think I have a problem with per se that I think that might be one of the changes that you might see with. Oh, yeah. With Ragnick of trying to get these younger players and faster players in. Yeah, because I mean, with his methodology, you get the bonus of being with set piece, everything and most on the attack. But as we'd mentioned, it's all about not just having this speed overall, but being able to have that at the right time, especially right. on a counter, especially in Telus definitely provides that. And I honestly think that it's going to be some major but more benefits with United's Academy. Because if you're going to see this necessary influx of U23 players, well, hey, yeah. if you can bring them up internally, that's going to reap more benefit. I don't know that we're going to go to that front. I think the focus is still that they need to win games and they have well, to yeah, continue I, to progress. Oh, um, yeah. And I'm saying, like, for this season, yes. Right. But in that consultancy role, that goes until 2024. That's in a more long-term extra thing moving forward after this yeah i i just think that that consultancy role is we'll see how much actually that matters um i think that really depends on everything that happens in the six months if if ragnick goes on some big run and say united is really you know up there with the other three then you know i think you really do need to give him that power and say hey he is going to be our new director of football and you need to kind of have him talking to whoever your next manager is or perhaps he even does so well that they really have to consider because there are rumors, uh, you know, if you look at what uh, Fabricio Romano has been saying, somebody that will come up again pretty soon here. Why? Because transfers is coming and that's his big deal. But he's been talking about Ragnick really behind the scenes without mentioning it because he knows he can't talk about it right now. He really wants to become the actual current man. He wants to stay being the manager. He doesn't want to just be around for six months and then, because we all know consultancy roles are just kind of, ah, oh, you show up on a Zoom meeting. Yeah, you're here, there. You're not necessarily always involved in everything. And you already have a technical director with Daniel Darren Fletcher. And then let's say a Mauricio Pochettino comes in. Do you think he really wants to be telling some guy that has, he wants some German guy telling him what to do that has nothing to do with the way he plays? Like, it's you just, have a point there. I, I don't know how that's going to all work necessarily if you're going to have these three different now, if you want him to be your director of football, right, and he's the one that is the one that actually looks and tries to find players, right, and say, okay, well, you tell me what kind of player you want to find. Well, he actually knows how to look for talent. And that's the problem, right? You haven't had a guy that actually knows how to recruit and knows how to look for talent in Manchester United. Look at the rest of the, the pool, the three at the top. What they have all found, what they all have is being able to find talent. Obviously, Chelsea and Manchester, Manchester City have the money to just be able to blow on any talent they want. You know, the hell, but he has a name, but they, they're also really good at finding talent that maybe you don't, you know, know about and then turning them into a star player, right? Mm -hmm. So that, and then Liverpool is just really good at finding talent, period, uh, which is, you can say that's an American hallmark and say, I put them on the field, right? And they've been lucky this year that they really haven't had a lot of uh, injuries and they've been able to really make a run of it. But Manchester and I just, they have not been able to find a cohesive unit that works and be able to bring those, those guys forward. You're spending a lot of money, but they're just on individual, right? And so that's what you're hoping that Radnick can not only in the six months and with the January window, let's see who he tries to bring in. Does he bring in guys from Germany? There's already a Red Bull midfielder that he's really looking at. Um, that is in the rumor mill that they really want to bring him in. And, you know, 
let's see. Uh, I, I'm really excited to see what he is going to bring, uh, bring order to a team that really hasn't had that in a while. And uh, I think all the rumors about Ronaldo, oh, he's not going to play. Look, right now you can't not play Ronaldo. He's the guy scoring your goals. So you're going to have mm-hmm. to figure out whether it's, you know, you have Rashford and Sancho pressing for him while he goes and just tries to stay up top and does the initial press. And then after that, he doesn't really necessarily go back all the time, but he can run if if he wants to, right? Or if he needs, there's those moments you've seen him where he goes crazy, he'll run back down. You know, it's not all the time. He's 37. Like, he's not going to be able to do that all the time, but he can do it if he, I just can't do it, the, you know, the whole 90 minutes. Uh, that's something that we're going to have to see. And I really, that's the one thing I forgot to talk when we were talking about. I like the fact that Carrick finally figured out Sancho needs to go play on the right side. Yep. You're not going to go spend money. (laughs) You're not going to go spend a bunch of money on this man. And then he doesn't play ever like go figure out how to make it work where these guys can play and they figured it out, you know, now I don't know if Bruno is still, that's his best position necessarily, but again, that's not Carrick's, uh, problem to figure out anymore. It's not Ralph Brown that's you to figure out. So, and how is Cavani going to fit into all this? Which I think Cavani actually works uh, with Radnick really well because he likes to move up and down and, and run a lot. I mean, so uh, we'll see how this all uh, works out. I don't know that we're necessarily going to see that against Crystal Palace. We'll probably start seeing the remnants of it. But I think after that is when we're going to really start seeing that become a thing. So exciting times now if you're a uh, Red Devils fan. Let's see what happens pretty quickly on Sunday and beyond. So moving away from that, big win for the team. Now they're in, what is it, seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, only a few points behind Arsenal and Tottenham. So they can easily uh, go up to fifth, say some results happen their way uh, after the weekend. Moving on to MLS now. Major League Soccer has oh, their boy. semifinals <laughs> are over. Now their conference finals are set. And some of the teams that you did not think would be the ones that are going to progress certainly have. And the one that I think most of you did not think had a chance after their ridiculous no shots on goal, nothing against the perennial Seattle Sounders and then win in penalty kicks and sudden death, go on to play Sporting Kansas City, another standard bearer of the Major League Soccer, another team that, you know, Peter Vermees has been there for a long time. Oh, man, you know how his teams play. They This is what they do. A revenge a little bit for the game that where they felt they should have had a higher seat because Ralso Lake didn't get a handball called on them. Well, just desserts for Sporting Kansas City because it didn't work out. Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood goes and gets the goal, uh, not necessarily at the death, but very close to it, to put them up 2-1 and get the win for Ralso Lake. Uh, what a what a surprise. I mean, if you really look at it, and I went to that Seattle match, and it's like, okay, you are being kind of like outmanned, overpowered. They're not letting you have any. So you decide, all right, we can still play in the condition. Let's play for extra time. They got there. Those 30 minutes hunkered down. They played for penalties. Anything can happen. But that gave RSL really, it sounds cliche, but such a belief that, all right, if we can have that many things go against us, in 120 minutes, and we still find a way to prevail, we can go out like gangbusters and pretty much anybody. Sporting Kansas City, who in their first match, they were heavily favored 
and had some great goals off of set pieces. That seemed to be the theme and of the that, first two rounds. And that Graham Susie blast. Uh, exactly. Those things, like, it didn't happen. RSL's like, all right, they're, we're playing our way. They're feeding in our hands. Let's go and we do it again. And they just keep going and going. Now here they are. Yeah, uh, but... Man, it, talk about a Cinderella story right now for Real Salt Lake. Can they get there and be another standard of the Major League Soccer in Portland? Get the get the they get the win on Colorado one nil. Um, Colorado had some chances, but again, you have to think about that long layoff. Does mm-hmm. that make a difference for your team? And you know, you're at home on Thanksgiving. It's a it's a big I don't you know pressure moment for them. And then you don't deliver, and Portland gets um, an undermanned Portland, I should say, gets the big, you know, big goal. They get the win. Asprila with a stupid uh, red card for punching down uh, on Clark, literally, and now he misses the next game. But Portland goes through, and and now it's Real Salt Lake and Portland on the west side. So that game uh, will be happening this weekend, and then of course on the east side. You have Nashville, which unfortunately Erica knocked out your team, Orlando, and, and we, then we were they, terrible. I'll say it: we were terrible. Anytime we get scored to seven, we deserve to. Win. Yeah, Mukhtar has been fantastic for them in the playoffs here, and he does that again, getting the goal. But then Andre Blake, what else is there to say about the keeper that could see the best goalkeeper in all the MLS? And he goes and and saves two penalties. And then Walker Zimmerman, and I can't remember who the other player is, just absolutely woof on the other penalties. And they do not score a single one. The penalty shootout ended 2-0 as uh, Philadelphia did get one of their saves um, as well. I mean, what a, ter- what a terrible penalty shootout. And then Nashville to just go out that way as well. You know, they had opportunities to, to win it in the extra time. Uh, Philadelphia go on, and they they are now the, the higher seed there. So that conference final will be played in philadelphia they're going to be playing nycfc eric <laughs> were eliminated uh in penalties as well um after this was a thrilling game though uh, nycfc i went up really quickly and then new england score pretty quick after that tati castellanos gets a really uh a yellow on a really bad foul on andrew farrell that comes back to haunt him later in the match the game stays that way till extra time. You have NYCFC go up again, thanks to Castellanos on a header where he just absolutely just outmanned the, and then gets a really bad foul. It's a really bad foul where he clips the guy, no ball at all. Castellanos sitting there almost crying to the ref to tell him, please oh, yeah. don't give me the yellow card. I never saw that, but he was done. And I looked at it and I'm like, no. And after all of that, for as good as that game was, and this was another one where it had a moment of controversy, six yellow cards, but if you look at that very first foul, right a few minutes before the first yellow card, which was Maxi Morales, there should have been a seven. Everybody was looking at that, and it's like there was no ball. It was a little bit late. Pretty much anywhere that's a yellow, the ref put his card in his pocket. It went on. You couldn't keep your card in your pocket anymore, as you saw. But yeah, and that that helped a lot for to get that second goal off Tejan Buchanan with a uh, mm-hmm. really good goal on his part. So you go to extra time, or you or you you end out the the extra time on that, and then you go to penalties. And well, uh, New England 
uh, if Sean Johnson makes uh, one save and that's all that New that's all NYCFC to make that one save, New England gets uh, or NYC hits the rest of their penalties and they win. And so NYCFC gets to go on, but no Tati Castellanos for the actual conference final. They got to play without him. Uh, that's going to be a big blow uh, to go against the Philadelphia team. And now the East is set. Philadelphia and NYCFC. Philadelphia is the team that has, I think their entire history, they have not been to the MLS Cup that uh, 10 years it has been uh, their entire history. NYCFC, I think, is on the fifth fifth in that list in their entire history they have not been uh, in the conference final or uh, the MLS Cup final so you'll have a new debutante on that and Portland obviously has been there before um, RSL have uh, been there before as well but that's going to be interesting will the Cinderella story continue for the west side which I really hope it does I hope we see uh, Real Salt Lake make the final um, I think that they have uh, the most interesting team David Ochoa has been clutch for them. He's made some big saves uh, so far. And I really wonder sometimes if that uh, youngest player, the you know, youngest player award really should have gone to him. And if they don't just start, MLS is very bad. Uh, we saw that with the goalkeeper of the year thing as well. Should have gone down to Blake. Uh, I think they gave it to Matt Turner more for his U.S. men's national team than necessarily the league exploits. They that. They're really bad about that. They'll go choose U.S. men's national team players over actual players that are uh, worthy instead. So that conference, the, the conference finals are set, Eric. And now after this weekend, when we come back on Sunday, we will know who is in the MLS Cup final. And that should be two dandy, uh, hopefully two really good games um, when we get down. I'm looking down to forward that. to them. Yes, uh, very much so. Now, uh, let's go into the international for a little bit here. Uh, before we end things with NWSL and U.S. US Women's National, a uh, lot of a lot of movement in NWSL as their season has now ended. So a lot of things have been I've been changing, and then another sad story we have to talk about, unfortunately. So intercontinental playoffs have been set for <laughs> for everyone here. Uh, Concacaf got a gift; uh, they will play the winner of the Oceania competition, which most of the time has been New Zealand, but they have been a little bit hampered with with the COVID protocols and everything. So we'll see if it winds up being New Zealand or another squad. Whichever one, considering what Mexico had to go through, you would think that whoever it is that winds up in that fourth spot really has an advantage, especially now that you're not going home and home. You're just going to one game. You would think that in the one game, that CONCAP team should definitely have the advantage, even if it is a Panama or a Jamaica or a Costa Rica. You would think that they definitely still have an advantage over New Zealand. but We'll see who gets there when, when we get to it. On the other side is South America against the Asian uh, Confederation. So that one's going to be a bit tougher, especially if it's, uh, let's say, in Australia or Japan, which very well could be the way that things mm -hmm. have been shaping up. Uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia have really been uh, doing well on that end of the table. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a lot of, a lot of changes there, uh, depending on uh, teams that you usually don't see. On the end, I mean, so hopefully that one should be much more of an interest. You know, let's say we get a Japan or Australia going up against that fifth South American. Uh, if it's a Peru or Uruguay or even a Bolivia. Bolivia has really, really come back and, and become a force uh, lately. So um, that one's really, really cool. going to be the must-see. Really yeah, I, I really hope it would be really cool to see Bolivia get into that spot and maybe perhaps get make that World Cup. 
um, it's been a long time for them. And, you know, so um, it could even be a Colombia. So the way things are going, it's really tight. Once you get past uh, the Brazil Argentina, who already qualified in the Ecuador, you, it's really tight in the middle there. So and every team except, uh, unfortunately, Venezuela has been terrible, uh, get, has a chance to qualify still. So. Yeah, that's the Intercontinental Playoffs. But then you get into the European uh, playoff bracket. And, man, this is really uh, – talk about, like, the way they've done this. It's crazy, Eric. Um, there's there's drama. Yeah. There's already yeah. drama. I'm here for it. Yeah, I mean, it. It you're only going to see one of Italy or Ronaldo and Portugal. You're not going to get to see both because they're in the same pathway. And it's uh, it's crazy that we have gotten to this point um, where they have made. I don't know if these pathways are made because of COVID and trying to get enough travel so much. Well, or if the, you know. Well, how it worked was when you had the twelve, you had right. your top six. You wait for group yeah. runners up who were seated, and, and then, then the other ones that are not seated. Right, your other ones and the ones who came out of the nation, they were unseated. So. You had to pair up, you know, your seedings yeah. versus your uns. It just so happened Portugal and then Italy were both. Or wait, no, I mean, Portugal was because they finished on a knife edge against the Czech Republic. But the way that the group shook out, it's like, uh, you weren't hoping to see that. But then there it was, Portugal, Italy being both. Seeded. Yeah. They had to go up against unseeded teams. It just so happened they were both drawn in paths. So, yeah. So this is how this is going to go. Um, if things work out. So uh, Scotland and the Ukraine face each other, Wales and Austria. Whoever wins there, you would think that perhaps it's Scotland or Wales, but it could be Scotland and Austria. Ukraine is, has been a force. Uh, these are happening in March, by the way, the end of March. So that last uh, window where we're you know, doing these games um, is when these games will happen. Uh, that last uh, World Cup window. Uh, not the first one in uh, January, February, but uh, when you get to March. So after that, you have Russia, Poland, Sweden, and Czech Republic. I know uh, Rachel will be watching that one uh, with bated breath to have mm-hmm. Russia go against Robert Lewandowski to see if they make the playoff. And then Sweden, Czech Republic as well. Will Slatan come back for this one? And then you get Italy and Portugal. Look, now watch out, because the way Portugal been playing, they could just get upset by Turkey, and we're not even talking about it. They could. The, it's like, and North Macedonia has been interesting as well. So, um, with the way Italy and Portugal have both been kind of staggering through, both of them could be eliminated, honestly. I like, mean, so. the one I would see more likely Portugal being eliminated by Turkey. Not yeah. to say that North Macedonia has to play the perfect game, but it's like they are less likely to catch Italy napping. Or, right. Because even though you don't have a whole tremendous amount lately up front for the Azuri. Defensively, they're still very stout. Now, if North Macedonia comes in, kind of a freak sort of counterattack, they can go ahead and nick a goal, park the bus from there. It could easily happen. Yeah, the only advantage Portugal has is that, obviously, they're playing at home against Turkey, and then they will play at home against Italy or North Macedonia. Um, So... Uh, the thing with uh, Poland needs to watch out. Russia's been a very hot team. So even mm-hmm. though they have Robert Lewandowski, it's not a guarantee. It will definitely be interesting. Hopefully, I'm hoping Scotland uh, does get through. It's been a long time since we've seen Scotland. You know, Hard come out in force. <laughs> yeah, and, and even Wales, you know, they have been on a kind of miraculous one as well. So either way, 
uh, you get one for the UK uh, team there. But yeah, that's going to be interesting when we're talking about who makes these intercontinental uh, playoffs and uh, how we get uh, through there uh, for sure. So that's it for the uh, intercontinental uh, playoffs. Now we move on to um, talking about NWSL women's national team. And so the U.S. women's national team had their two games set against Australia. They won the first one three nil. Um, you know, some big goals on on that end. I really enjoyed watching highlights of this, and I watched some of that uh, behind the crest thing. They they went to a zoo mm-hmm. in Australia, and you got to see the players interacting with all the different. Uh, kinds of animals and that kind of thing. Um, Sam Kerr had some shots uh, in this one that had an opportunity to actually get a goal for Australia, but um, the goalkeeper Murphy was actually fantastic in, the, in that first game. Uh, she stopped everything uh, and had some terrific saves. And uh, so, you know, I, the one player I think that sticks out from both um, both games from what I saw, I thought uh, Mitch Purse uh, set up, something on for both games on on goals and I, I thought that's somebody that you really need to look at as far as continuing to bring them in uh to the next group of you know whatever the next group of games and i like the way they showed of Lago's uh speech for the first the, that first game and he's just like everything now is a world cup final every like every single game that we play so you got to go out there and try to win all these games like Damn, you know, I don't think you need to put that much pressure on them, but sure. You know, but but you got to love the passion, though. Yeah, you got to love the passion, but it's like, you don't need to put that much pressure on you. These are still friendlies, right? But, I mean, it is important because if you look at just even CONCAP, right, Mexico has become much of a better, a much better team now with the Liga Femenil there. Uh, they beat Canada. Uh, they haven't done that much um, in all these years, so... It really is becoming like almost like a three-headed monster, much like we're seeing on the men's side now. Uh, so, you know, the U.S. does really need to take some of these games seriously, and Australia is still a very good opponent that you're playing against. Uh, a draw in the first game, they had an opportunity to uh, very close at the end. Lindsay Horan had a goal that was called back on the second one that would have got her uh, the win or would have got the U.S. the win for both games. But I think you still got to be positive <coughs> coming out of those two games to get a win and a decisive win three nil and then get the draw on the other end. Very good on that. Oh yeah, it, it, it was. And especially for that three nil win, it was another one of those kind of slow starters. You thought, okay, maybe something can happen, but then the U S really took charge in the second half. They made it their three nil win, putting their foot down. So it's like, all right, Everything is still pretty much mostly normal when it comes to the women's national. Yeah, and even with them, you know, doing what we've seen with the uh, the men's players uh, and starting over, kind of, and having to start, you know, from scratch of saying, okay, we have new. Well, we're not like everybody's not new, but we're having to uh, bring in a new crop of players, um, bring in several. I mean, Ashley Hatch. Goal in the first couple of minutes in the first game, Ashley has goal again very early. So Ashley has continued her scoring form from Washington Spirit on to what we see with um, the United States Women's National Team. So that's great uh, for her uh, on that end. I mean, like you have, you know, you're you're saying goodbye to a lot of these goal scorers that have been the standard for uh, moving forward, you know, to now having to bring in a whole new team. And it's good to see that, you're not losing that, you know, Mm-mm. and 
and having uh, Ashley Hatch be a, a clear defined goal scorer for you. I mean, Lynn Williams is really good in the first game uh, as well. So, like, I think you have some of that set up. Um, the back line, I think, is still uh, work in progress uh, so far. So you have that to look forward to. I mean, obviously, Alyssa Nair is not back. But, again, Murphy has been fantastic uh, for uh, US Men's National Team. So I think from what you – from what you've seen in both these games, I think really, uh, I think you got to hand it to Vladko for really, I think pick it. This is the first time he's really got to pick his squad, right? Because he had to play mm-hmm. the old players uh, for the Olympics. And then he had to pick the, for that first couple of games, he had to pick still the Olympic team. So this is really where he's been able to like bring in uh, some of these uh younger players and be able to say, okay, we're going to, this is going to be our core now. You know, the Rose Lavelles, the Lynn Williams, the Margaret Purse, um, the Ashley Sanchez's, they're going to be your, your core. Lindsay Horan is going to be another one, your, your core player. Um, you know, all these older players, you'll still see them in NWSL and everything, but they're not going to be a main focus uh, for us in, and what we're going to see after that. Uh, so, you know, I think that's the, the thing for the U.S. is continuing to go that route. Um, you know, you got to see Morgan Weaver make her first start. You know, um, you got to see Ashley Sanchez make her first start. So, like, you're, you're getting Ashley Hass makes her first start. So, like, that's really good for uh, the U.S. Women's National Team and how we're uh, going with that and how you're going to move on from this. Obviously, a lot of time still. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, before you get into any meaningful action, but it's so good to see that. Yeah, I mean, and especially at the be- sort of like the beginning of a cycle like this, this is the perfect time to do it. And hats off to Vlaco for it's like, all right, I've got all of this time to rebuild. I'm going to take all of it to so. See what I've got. Yeah, for sure. Uh, sadly, we have to talk about a another sad story in the NFL. The season may be over right after the championship game. It was found out that Rory Dane, who had been the head coach for the Red Stars for such a long time, for 11 years, Eric, 11 years. Um, you know, the Washington Post uh, published a report um, that, you know, he had been emotionally and verbally abusing players. And, and that's terrible. And, oh. and it's a real shame because, number one, you would think, especially in such a position of long tenure power, like you would have some idea that you don't necessarily need to do it. Something is up with you if you go ahead and push that far. And number two, this is continuing to be sad for the NWSL as a whole because just to think and you're going through and you're rooting out all of these problems and all of these problematic situations, you realize yeah. it still goes and it was more pervasive realized. So it's I'm glad that the right action was done, at least in some sense, and it was resolved. But as you said, 11 years, something couldn't have happened sooner. It's, oh, it's ugly. Yeah, this is, uh, Kristen Press is the, the person that really instigated all this. You know, she filed a complaint with Sinogalati in 2014, and then in 2018, uh, after she was no longer with the Red Stars, she also filed a uh, complaint with U.S. Soccer. And th- the second complaint not only involved her, but included many uh, several players. And this um, this uh, a quote from one of her many columns that she wrote 
uh, between 2014 2015 while she was with the U.S. World Cup team. I was terrified of what Rory would do and say he found out um, there was something I had said. And then when I was made to feel by U.S. soccer that I was in the wrong because Suno Galati said that there's normal action for a coach, um, that there was nothing to retort. For so many women in this league, you think you don't have any worth. And if you stand up and you say what you think, it's right or wrong. Nobody cares. Wow. That is... uh, and you've got to go through a lot to really feel that way and to articulate those words. And given the lack of action, Miss, I see where she's coming from. And this was another big issue, still is, in U.S. soccer. So it's not just the NWSL that had to really look at themselves. They really got to look at themselves in U.S. soccer house and just really ask, why... Does this get to keep happening? And why do we look like this when our players, stars or not, complain and say, hey, I need help. This is a thing. I never really understand that. To say that it was like a normal behavior. No, you can go ahead to be aggressive in certain ways, but there's no need ever to be any sort of abusive. Come on now. Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, that's. I mean, looking at some of these things, apparently, um, he, he yelled at a player on the field. If you can't talk on the field, what kind of mother are you? What does that have to do with anything that, what does that even mean? What, what does that have to do with anything that is going on? It's like, uh, like that's not a way to motivate a player. Like, and that's no. just one quote. I mean, I'm sure there are many, and especially with how Kristen Press felt, I'm sure that he really took it out on her. A star or she is a star, but like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like she is one of the leaders of the team. So a lot of times they will suffer more uh, internal pressure than, say, um, you know, a uh, another role player because they take on a lot of the pressure themselves. It's just it's incredible to me that this continues to happen. He is now the fifth male coach that's been part of NWSL that has been taken down. The only one that remains is Houston's James Clarkson. Three other coaches are resigned to take other coaches out, and one was reassigned to a new technical role. So, is this now the time that we're finally going to have women coaching? Uh, we I already would saw. Hope. Uh, we already saw the Thorns make a a decision on their coach, um, and it is a female coach. And now uh, the Orlando Pride have also made a decision on their coach. Amanda Duffy um, has part of you know she parted ways as the executive vice president of soccer. But they've made the decision uh, to bring in UCLA women's coach and uh, Amanda Crowell uh, as the new head coach. Uh, Cromwell, sorry. She actually took UCLA to a championship in 2013 in her first season. Uh, and then she spent 14 years coaching uh, with UCF. So she has some pedigree there in the college game. And I think that's what matters, right? Is like you're bringing in, yeah, look, uh, you're not bringing in a Joe Ellis or, or somebody else that that has like a big name, Eric, but what you got to do. You do. Right? And, and you don't always have to bring in the big names, but you have these coaches and some with titles. You're giving them these chances and you can help them become bigger names. And that's really what can be the key for any league. So I approve that even though there's not a lot going on right now, there's not a lot that they got right initially, that they're really committed to turning this around and they're really going in some senses outside of the box for this new crop of coaches to come in. And I would love to see what they would do. 
Yeah, I, I really want to keep mm-hmm. – let's promote these younger coaches. Let's, you know, bring in coaches from the college ranks to coaches. They got to get experience somewhere. Exactly. Right? Like, this isn't this isn't the opportunity that you have with the men to go coach. I mean, yes, they could go try to coach in the WSL or, or the you know, European leagues, whatever, but it's not the same as what we see with some of the men. And even that. A lot of the American coaches don't do a Jesse March or Bob Bradley or no. whatever they do. They stay in the system, right? So, like, you need to remote from within from these. This is where you're getting these players from in the draft, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. why not get some of these coaches as well? And that's great for the Thorns and for Orlando to make these decisions. Let's hope we see more of that uh, as, you know, more teams being added. And speaking of teams being added, we have new teams coming in to this season for the NWSL and many of those new are making waves already. San Diego Wave have brought in Abby Dalcamber, you know, a US Men's, US Women's National Team defender. She was playing with Houston, but they made a three-way trade and uh, Joe Ellis, who's the president um, at uh, the Wave and of course played under Jill at UCLA, knows her well, played under her with the US Women's National Team. So bringing in a, a star like Dalcamber is great. Uh, for the San Diego Wave, um, and she's won championships uh, before as well. You get that experience there, Eric. Um, not to mention, you also get you get some uh, a big movement here from the Red Stars. So Roy Dames leave, and now they trade six players to either Angel City FC or San Diego Wave. I, I, um, I mean, your two new California clubs are going to be getting. Quite the talent to really upstack their rosters. And Chicago was like, well, maybe even after this, just clean house, try to rebuild, build a new atmosphere from the ground up, starting with like players on the pitch who are willing to go ahead, be there through all of this time. And in some ways, it kind of works for everybody. Yeah, it does. So you get Julie Ertz and Sarah Gordon going to Angel City FC. So you get an awesome move for Angel City to get a great player like Julie Ertz to go over there and bring the, all of that um, to, um, to Angel City and whoever else is going to go to that team. You know, she um, had, she's went through a little bit of an injury spell recently, but she was very consistent uh, in her first six in the VLC. Uh, and then the Red Stars also traded Katie Johnson and Mackenzie Doniak. I remember Doniak uh, almost scored, you know, tie the game up for the Red Stars in the end of the championship. And then Kelsey Turnbow, who's playing fantastic for Santa Clara University, uh, still one of the the players uh, women in the women's college cup. There, uh, they're going to San Diego. Uh, so this is obviously allowing for a protection and that expansion draft that's going to come up for both those teams. But San Diego's getting some really good players as well, and we already heard about uh, Dell Camper. And then uh, Nicole Stanton's also going to the Old Reign for a third round draft pick. So a lot of movement. For the Red Stars, who are cleaning house and getting some of these players out of that toxic environment and into a new environment, and then obviously getting to whoever's going to come in after Dames is getting to kind of formate, formulate the team and their vision and bring in their own players. So um, that's good for those players, and also Sam Lewis, and also an uh, U.S. Women's National Team veteran. She's going to move on. Um, uh, she's going to move on to Kansas City. Uh, so. Uh, there was a trade there from the Courage to Kansas City for defender Kiki Pickett, and then also the Waves' first uh, round pick in the 2022 NWSL draft. So a lot of movement there, and then Kansas City now gets 
a very experienced player that has won championships uh, and everything as well. So a lot of movement happening in WSL, Eric. A lot of movement, but teams are getting some great building blocks to really start their life in NWSL. I'm digging it. Yeah, I'm digging it. I'm glad to see it. We'll see what happens uh, with the draft as well. And, well, that's going to do it for us here on uh, this edition of Soccer to the Max. We'll be back in a few days. Uh, if all goes well, I have to talk about the MLS uh, Conference Finals, anything else that's been happening in WSL. Uh, the men's national team camp should be coming together pretty soon here uh, with that friendly against Bosnia-Herzegovina. Uh, so there may be some movement on that front as well. And then, of course, what happens on the weekend with Manchester United and the rest of the leagues. Uh, we'll have a, a question about, you know, once we get through those, those Sunday matchups, we'll definitely have a question about who we think is going to win uh, the league in England and if it's still going to be, a uh, you know, a three-team race going all the way through. So look out for that. Uh, you can follow Eric at, at Squid Sportshead. You can follow me at uh, WTM Sean. Uh, go check out the whole WTM network. If you subscribe to that, you get everything that we do, which involves Mark's uh, entertainment stuff. You know, they just reviewed Encanto. They reviewed the uh, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Uh, a lot of stuff for them to go talk about. You had the Life is Like a Game Show for Eric, um, which you can go check out. Just had a, a new video game show as well, Drop with Mark. We talked about the Pokemon uh, Brilliant Diamond and some other uh, things going on. As well, a more League to the Max happening as well. League, our League of Legends show that also has Eric on it. So <laughs> go check that out. And well, you know, uh, until then, you know, hit that. If you like watching on YouTube, you can hit subscribe, ring that bell. Anytime we do a show, it's there. And of course, you can just subscribe to Soccer the Max and get, get us every time we do a show as well. So until, uh, you know, a couple of days, folks, we'll see you later. Peace.